0: All right, I believe this is Jonah part seven or something. <laughs> Jonah chapter four, verse five. And I knew we'd take up a little time with that other thing, so I'm just going to try to cover two verses. Jonah four, verse five. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow. Till, uh, till he might see what would become of the city. He's got a perfect spot to watch the destruction fall. That's a bad move. Now, they could do it in the Old Testament. I, I would not say anybody pray for someone's destruction. you find David do it quite often. Uh... If God moves you to do that, that's between you and him. But I would not advise it. <laughs> he says, if you dig a pit for your neighbor, I'll let you fall in it. So you got to be careful with that thing. God God was also angry with Israel. And Jonah was ignoring that. <laughs> God had mercy on this city that had been just pagan heathens, you know, ruffians. And Jonah wasn't going to get on board with it. He said, no, God, we need to destroy them. And I'm going to sit here and watch the clock because they're not going to last 40 days. Oh, they're repenting today, but you give it another week. You know, when happy hour rolls around, we'll see how serious they are. And that's what he's doing. He's sitting there waiting. In Exodus 32, verse 10... Exodus 32, verse 10. You find early on in the history of Israel, God's been angry at Israel for many, many times over. <laughs> Here's one of them. He tells Moses, Now therefore let me alone, that, I, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I'll make of thee a great nation. <laughs> Israel's no exception. They're not some perfect nation that's always done right and God's never gotten mad at them. <laughs> Does He not recognize that? These people have, have never had a relationship with God. Israel has and broken it many times. Yet God's been very merciful to them. And yet He can't see that. Uh, in Proverbs 1, Proverbs 1, verse 26, You want to stay on God's good side? If he's mad at somebody, maybe you can be mad at him. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> our job is to be our job is to be an ambassador. We're supposed to be pleading for those people when he's mad at them. That's our position. So, he says right here, "I will also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh." So be careful. Just because you're sitting pretty right now, don't take advantage of it. And that's what Jonah was doing. He was the prophet. Nobody was telling him his city was going up in flames. It just so happened the message was, y'all need to repent, even though he didn't say repent. (laughs) And he didn't ever point it back to him. It's dangerous to preach a message to other people without thinking, you need it too we all need it's God's word not any individuals God gave his word for every individual and the man preaching it needs it just as bad as the audience <laughs> always um, look at ephesians four ephesians four verse thirty two now of course he did not have Ephesians, and God dealt with them differently in that dispensation, but for us we've got it, so there's no excuse for us. He says Ephesians four thirty two and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we should be able to forgive other people because God didn't level the boom on us like we deserve because of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, we've already seen it. Who is Jonah a type of? Jesus Christ. He should be the one in the middle. And he's not playing that game. (laughs) He's fulfilling an anti-type rather than the type that God had set it up to be. Uh, Look at um, Jonah 4, verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Now, why in the world do we need that little detail? (laughs) The east side. (laughs) Did he sit in tall grass? Was it short grass? You know what? (laughs) He tells us he doesn't put any detail in there, just frivolously. He's not trying to sound flowery. He's telling you that for a reason. East, you're supposed to take note of. Let's find it. Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 24. When east shows up, it's usually a bad sign. <laughs> when, you're, when you're throwing a mullet net, <laughs> I used to go out and throw a mullet net a little bit at night, and when the wind could really wreak havoc on you because I don't have a whole lot of strength anyway, but that wind starts blowing and you got to raise that thing up, you know, arm height or uh, shoulder height to throw. If it's coming from the east, it's a beast. West is best. <laughs> and that's true in the Bible. Genesis 3:24. This is Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life okay so they've got the garden of eden god kicks them out of the garden of eden and he kicks them out where east East. get out the east door (laughs) and he sets something up there so there's no re-entry look at chapter 4 chapter 4 verse 16 And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. You know what he's doing. He's trying to get back in the garden. For the very reason God kicked them out. He kicked them out and said, I don't want them to get back to the tree of life. What was Cain's problem? He said, everybody that finds me is going to kill me. I don't know how many people can kill you, but... (laughs) He says, Everyone. He thought he was a coward. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. And so that's what he's doing. He's going right to that east of the garden there, waiting. Maybe that door will crack one day, and those angels got to sleep sometime. <laughs> but that's the first mention of east. It shows up there. Look at chapter 13, Genesis 13. Genesis thirteen eleven. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves one from the other. That's good. Abraham's good. He's going to separate from somebody heading the wrong direction. <laughs> the wrong direction in this chapter was east. And you just follow for the next few chapters and you'll see how bad it was. Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verse 6. Abraham is a crazy man. Abraham couldn't have children for a hundred years. Not quite a hundred, but you know what I mean. In round figures. <laughs> now all of a sudden, God let him have a child. Well, he, he had one with the concubine first, trying to help God out. Then he let Sarah have a child. Well, now he's so excited that he can have children, he's decided he's going to populate a city. After Sarah dies, he goes and gets him a concubine. (laughs) And he's got uh, seven. Is it seven or ten? Uh, He has a bunch of children from her, too. And here, they don't last long. He kicks them out. Look at it in verse 6, Genesis 25, 6. But in the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son. While he yet lived, eastward unto the east country, (laughs) that east, east, east is always just talking about something that should not be, and that's Jonah sitting there on the east side of the city, with a bad attitude, complaining to God that he's not doing what he thinks is justice. God, I see this as justice, and you better go. (laughs) Genesis forty-one. Genesis 41, verse 6. Here, Pharaoh's having a nightmare. He's been eating too much pizza late at night. Has <laughs> this dream. Genesis 41, 6. And behold, seven thin ears blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. Okay, he understands that. The east wind... Brings in something that messes up the crops. Usually that's going to be locusts. Leviticus 1, Leviticus 1, verse 16. This is why it's important to read your Bible from the front to the back. If you've been reading your Bible from the front to the back until you got to Jonah, when he said east, your mind would already start remembering some of these. If you do it four or five times, then they'll remember all of them, but it'll take a while before you remember all of them. But your mind will have recognized east as bad because you'll have seen it so many times. Leviticus 1.16. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of ashes. Something's just got burned up, a bird, for an offering. Okay, you don't want to be that bird, and you don't want to be plucked up and thrown on the ash heap. (laughs) That's not a good spot to be. It's on the east. And I don't know why we needed to know that, but he was very particular. I do know why. (laughs) He wanted us to start recognizing. From the very beginning, I've set things up. On this side right here is good. On this side is bad. Now, he did that from the beginning. He said the job of the priest was this, to make difference between holy and unholy, between right and wrong. So, God does the same thing. East wind bad, west wind good. (laughs) Psalm chapter 48. Psalm 48, verse 7. Now, this doesn't say Jonah, but I think we can put Jonah in here. <laughs> Psalm 48, verse 7. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. Yes, he's been there. And he's been in the ship that got broken, just about broke up, and had to go in the sea. And he should remember hey, that was an east wind those guys were so afraid of. Uh, but he didn't. Look at it in Jonah 4, verse 8. Jonah 4, verse 8. Maybe, maybe his uh, compass on his iPhone wasn't working when he went out there, so he didn't know which direction he was. But now he should pick it up. Jonah 4, verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. There's that east coming up again. He should be noticing he's heading the wrong way. His actions need to be reprimanded or he needs to reprimand himself. Okay, Jonah 4, one more verse. Jonah 4, verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd, or of the gourd. That shows you, you know, when we're being Jonah, we don't see it, and it's easy to see it when it's somebody else instead of ourselves. I understand that, but God was being very merciful to him. Here he's speaking like a spoiled brat. And God is still saying, you know, he's going he's gonna to get hot and faint over there. Let me get a gourd for him. Instead of, let me tan his hide, <laughs> he was building a gourd for him, a shade. That shows God's care of us, even when we don't deserve it. Now, Jonah did get a smile when he found the gourd. That made him happy. But he never looked far enough. He was happy of the gourd, not of the one who made it. And God in a minute is going to say, okay, you don't like my gourd? I'll take it away, see if you like me. <laughs> and He does. Uh, God has been preparing things, and uh, just like He said, He prepared a gourd for this in this verse. Early on in our book, in chapter 1, verse 17, He prepared a great fish. Every time God prepared something, it was always for his benefit. No matter how painful it may have felt at the time, it was always better than he deserved. When God prepared that fish, he should have been preparing a shark. (laughs) But he gave him a whale. Okay, that that was a lot better than a shark. (laughs) Uh, The next thing in chapter 4, verse 6 was the gourd. He prepared that gourd that, that covered his head. Next he's going to prepare in verse 7 a worm. (laughs) Now this is when he starts uh, reprimanding him. You can only push God so far. His long suffering is long, but even a long rope comes to an end. And his is about to here. And then in verse 8 he prepares the east wind. Now you know it's getting serious. All right, we'll, we'll finish up, uh, hopefully, the chapter next time. But this is a weird book. It ends on a question mark. <laughs> and we never see Jonah again. All right, Jonah 4, verse 7. But God prepared a, a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that withered. Bad news. Jonah's just going from bad to worse. <laughs> He's been in the city. He's done his best in there, and God still wouldn't destroy him. He's come out. He's got this bright idea that, you know, they're not going to hold fast to their repenting plan. And God will go ahead and let them have it. Well, Jonah's uncomfortable out there. God did something for him to build him a gourd. The gourd shaded his head. Now the worm shows up and the worm does what worms do, destroy things. (laughs) And now Jonah's back in his uh, reasoning for misery is he can blame it on something. Uh, The fact of the matter is, God uses circumstances as a billboard. More than likely, in our life, when you hit a difficult situation, it's usually a picture of something. And God intends us to research it and find out, God, are you trying to say something? Is there a picture of our relationship? Is there a picture of something here? It doesn't mean that everything is, and it doesn't mean that the whole situation is. You just might be picking one thing out of the situation. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14. I don't have to preach this to this crowd because this crowd does this already. However, (laughs) the moderners need to hear this message. Ecclesiastes 7, 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Okay, like you've got to force me to do that. <laughs> but in the day of adversity, consider. That is, put your thinking cap on. God also has set one over against the other, to the end, that man should find nothing after him. That is, you're supposed to ask God in adversity, is there something here I'm supposed to figure out? That's what God's doing with Jonah He's giving him a math problem A word problem <laughs> Only now it's a worm problem <laughs> Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 8 Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 it says, And he humbled thee Talking to the children of Israel And suffered thee to hunger And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not Neither did thy fathers know That he might make thee to know That man doth not live by bread only But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord Doth man live Okay, we would not have understood that Probably He said, I made you get hungry for a reason Not so I could feed you with manna That was the result. That was not the reason. The reason is so you would know that man only lives by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So they were supposed to be over there starving in the wilderness and say, hey, you know, I'll bet we're not going to make it if we're not living by God's words. We wouldn't have got that one. (laughs) Sometimes God produces some difficult things to figure out on purpose. Now, it's never beyond our means to grasp. He knows that. He customizes every situation for us. Now, I might not grasp your situation. And more than likely, I won't. God engineered that thing just for you. It's it's like an inside joke. It's an inside problem. (laughs) Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 20. Now God's aiming this verse right here at the nation as a whole, and he's aiming it way beyond anything they know anything about or farther than they can see. He's talking about tribulation here. Jeremiah twenty three twenty. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed and till he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days you shall consider it perfectly. That's never happened. As a nation, they've never considered their troubles perfectly according to God's doing. One day they will. When the tribulation happens and spiritual beings come down from the sky, and I mean, the supernatural will suddenly become natural, <laughs> and they will understand it perfectly. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verse 29. Jonah found this to be true Without Paul being around to tell him (laughs) Ephesians 5 verse 29 For no man Ever yet hated his own flesh But nourished And cherished it Even as the Lord the church For we are members of his body And of his flesh and of his bones Okay so he says Man is selfish (laughs) We are I mean, we care about, you know, if we're uncomfortable, we need to do something about it. We want to move. We want to, you know, whatever it calls for. Get warm. <laughs> okay, so that's what man does. He just naturally cares for self. He says, that's supposed to be a picture or something. That same selfishness we have for this body, God, Jesus Christ does for us, his church. That's a good thought. Now, our selfishness is a problem because we spend it on self. That selfishness is for yourself, not his self. Well, sort of, it's his body, but you know what I mean. <laughs> All right, back to Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4, verse 8. Jonah 4, verse 8. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise... Oh, I I've got... One more section in here than I thought I'd do. We've got three sections instead of two. So now we'll start. Now we've got two sections. <laughs> Verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Okay. Verse 9. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd?" And he said, i do well to be angry, even unto death. <laughs> now, have you ever been so mad that you died? <laughs> I, I found that an, an odd wording. I'm angry even unto death. And I'm, I'm justified in doing it. I think what he's saying here is I'd do well to be so angry that I'm going to force you to kill me. Angry unto death. Nobody's anger ever killed them. But his is about to. That's the way he's acting toward God, going against what God has made plain to him he wants to do. Remember, there's supposed to be a prophet. He's supposed to be the spokesperson for God. God's made that plain, orchestrated supernatural events to get him from the deep blue sea all the way to Nineveh. <laughs> and now he's still got a problem with what God's doing. Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 19 Ezekiel 19 verse 12 he has not noticed that the situation he's sitting in could have been a message if he would get right with God I don't have any indication in this book of course this is all we hear from Jonah But I don't have any indication in this book that he ever got right. Had he gotten right, right here. You know that uh, all things work together for good. God will use even your wickedness to his glory at some point. Here he could have learned from his situation that, hey, my next mission is going to be to the nation of Israel. Because what just happened to me is going to happen to Israel. And here it is, but Ezekiel had to give this prophecy. Ezekiel 19:12. But she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up her fruit. Her strong rods were broken and withered. The fire consumed them, and now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty ground. The fire has gone out of the rod of her branches, uh, which hath devoured her fruit, so that she hath no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation and shall be for a lamentation. That's what he was doing was he was lamenting the gourd that just got dried up. Just like the nation of Israel is about to. And their ruling power, the scepter, is going to depart. But he, he didn't get all that message. But he was a prophet. He could have. I think if he had got right with God, maybe both of them would have given this message. Instead of just Ezekiel doing it. Look at Revelation, Revelation three, Revelation three nineteen. This is a good message for uh, individuals to preach to themselves. It doesn't usually come across so well when a preacher does it. <laughs> I mean, you got to do it anyway, but. It comes across best when you do it. Revelation three nineteen. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Okay. You know, God was being very nice to Jonah. He didn't tell Jonah, you need to repent. He didn't tell him that. But he sure did, didn't he? He needed to repent. He needed to get on the same page as God. And he never did. He says there, be zealous therefore and repent. Be zealous, be excited that God's going to chasten everybody. No. (laughs) Be zealous, be quick in your repenting. It lessens the chastening. (laughs) Back to Jonah. Jonah 4 verse 10. This is God's final sermon that he preaches to him. Jonah 4:10. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd For which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow Which came up in a night and perished in a night And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city Wherein are more than six score thousand persons That can't not discern between their right hand and their left hand And also much cattle And that's the end of the book Question mark <laughs> That's the craziest thing Okay, so he's supposed to see some things here That gourd The gourd is going to picture Assyria The nation he just went to A gourd is not something you that you eat of It's not some beautiful flower It's just a a growth that happens And just like Nineveh They had grown up And they had been useful to God. God said, I'll use this for my servant here. It's going to shade him. Well, for Jonah, you know what it gave Jonah? A job. I know we don't think of this often, but if all the world just automatically converted, we wouldn't have anything to do. God's given us a job. So we should be thankful for the heathen. God's given us a chore. Now, not for their (laughs) heathenness, but thankful that we get to be part of God's plan. Okay. So this gourd, it's a picture of Assyria. And Jonah had pity on this gourd, but not on Nineveh. Well, God says, Hey, uh, why is it that you're so worried about the gourd and not this nation here? You know, I wanted to have pity on this nation. And you want me to have pity on the gourd. Well he's not connecting dots The sun came out Now the sun did something The sun scorches That is it burns up You know the heat thereof Okay well Jonah's not happy about the sun And what he likes Is the gourd blocks the sun Okay the gourd was between him and the sun The world will get between you and God It will And that's exactly what Nineveh was the type of, satanic things. And Jonah was in favor of something blocking the sun, but not in God restoring lost people. And that's a a bad spot to be in. Look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He's right back to where we found him in the beginning of the book. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He likes that gourd between him. End of the verse. Uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's not real keen on being in the presence of the Lord. That gourd was a good thing. Now, the son of righteousness in Malachi, you'll find Jesus Christ called the son, S-U-N, of righteousness, referring to Jesus Christ. So you can use that analogy. Jonah never answered God's questions in this book. Now, it's probably a good thing. Um, you know, his final, his final answer here may have been his final <laughs> life, his final breath. I don't know. But sometimes, uh, God gives a question just for you to mull over and think about and not necessarily for you to spit out an answer. And that's probably healthy. <laughs> God questions him here. And he's intended to mull it over, to think, and to consider, like he said in Ezekiel. Look at Luke 20. Luke 20, verse 26. Sadducees and the Pharisees come on the scene and they want to catch Jesus in his words. They want to trap him. So they do all these special things to trap him. They engineer, you know, the smartest thing they can come up with, you know, how we're gonna trap him. And he turns around and many times he asks them a question and they look at each other and think and they're all thinking, Well, if I answer it, I'm gonna make that guy mad and if that guy answers what I know he's gonna answer, I'm gonna let him have it. <laughs> so he turns them against each other with just some questions. Look at this verse. Luke twenty, verse twenty six. <clears throat> And they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answers and held their peace. This is what God's done to Jonah. He said, I'm going to ask you some questions. And it's not necessarily something that God needs an answer for. You know, God doesn't ask a question because he doesn't have the answer. (laughs) If he asks a question, it's because we need to notice the answer. Look at Job chapter 5, Job 5, verse 12. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward is carried headlong. Okay, that's exactly what's going on with Job. What Job did was he said, uh, 40 days and you're going down, and who, who did I say? Job, no, uh, Jonah. I'm talking about Jonah. <laughs> what Jonah has done. <laughs> Jonah in the ark. What? <laughs> And when he threw those Ten Commandments... No, I'm going to get y'all all all messed up. (laughs) What Jonah has done is he said, Okay, look, you want to repent? That's great. I'll just see how long it's going to last. And he goes out there and he sits down and he watches. I think his attitude has become very clear in that he could have gone home. He could have done anything. But he's sitting there waiting for the first time they mess up. So he can point the finger and say, God, get them. You've got to fulfill your word. You you made a covenant. (laughs) Okay. Well, God is defeating his own wise idea. He thought he had him a comfortable little spot out there. And while he's sitting out there, God makes it uncomfortable for him and starts painting some pictures and putting a mirror up. Well, God does that with all of us. You start digging a ditch for somebody, pretty soon you fall in it. And then you got to turn around and look and say, wait a minute, maybe this is my problem. (laughs) And uh, that's what he's doing with Jonah. Look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. He's talking here about um, Janice and Jambres. 2 Timothy 3, verse 9. He said, just like Janice and Jambres were withstanding Moses, these people have to be told off so they'll shut up. (laughs) But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was, theirs Janice and Jambres was. God does that. (laughs) He shows us our folly. You know, foolishness is wickedness. God's not the God of folly. He's not foolishness. If you just read the book of Proverbs, you learn real quick that to be a fool is asking God to come correct you if you're a Christian. If you're lost, you're a fool already. Um, God doesn't have to rebuke Jonah for his bad temper. There's something more powerful. Usually if you point your finger and start telling somebody off, It's not going to be taken too well. When you have grown kids, you have to do this. I've learned this. (laughs) You can't tell them off and get the response you want usually. You step back and let God handle it and life teach them and they'll come around to it. They need to see it for their own eyes. So God's doing something with Jonah. He's saying, let's, Let's do an illustration. Let's do a flannel graph lesson here. (laughs) You see this gourd. (laughs) And Jonah's not getting it. But God was very merciful to him in that he used many illustrations, one after the other. In this chapter, we've seen three of them already. Matter of fact, he was doing it his whole existence. Everything we've read about him is God showing him. Jonah's probably uh, almost as hard-headed as we are. And that's the way God works. Uh, Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 33. You know the story here. This is the the man who was forgiven much, and then he turned around and found some people who owed him, and so he's going to let them have it. Tell them they better pay up or go to jail. Matthew eighteen thirty three. 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servants, even as I had pity on thee? Okay. Wake up, Jonah. You wanted me to have pity on the gourd. Okay. That's a little thing. Shouldn't I also have pity on some people that don't even understand right and wrong? When they want to head the right way? Shouldn't we have pity on that? Yeah, of course we should. Uh, Deuteronomy 1. Deuteronomy 1, verse 39. Now, part of this that is very telling is that the Assyrians were very vicious. When they would come into town, they would have a scorched earth policy. They would kill them all, men, women, and children. If you were in the way, you were just in the way. Very vicious and horrible details I don't even want to talk about. In the same way, now Jonah has the same viciousness to him. God revealed to him, hey, there's some children in this town. They don't even know their right hand from the left hand. And you want me to destroy them? What about the children? Wouldn't that make Jonah soften up a little bit? It should. God saying, "Hey, have you considered what destroying the whole town is? That means all the cattle, and that means the little ones, the women. That means everybody." Should have been thinking a little bigger than his uh, little brain was thinking. Deuteronomy one verse thirty nine. This is God getting mad at the children of Israel. I want to give you the context for everything. (laughs) This is God getting mad at the children of Israel, saying you're going to have to walk 40 more years, or you're going to have to go around this thing one more time till all of you die, you old-timers, and I'm going to let your children go on into the land instead of you. Verse 39, Deuteronomy 139. Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children which in, the day, uh, in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. He says, y'all are complaining about me, and you're complaining, saying that I brought you out here to kill you and your children with hunger and thirst. So i said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let those children you thought I brought you out here to, to kill these little children, I'm going to let the little children go on in. God cares for little children. (laughs) You know, it's obvious if we just take a mirror of what is... We know, obviously, from looking around the globe right now, what is satanic. Okay, God's the opposite of that. Okay? They don't like children. I mean, they don't. If it's not satanic sacrificing them, it's killing them in the womb. Okay? They're anti-children. God's not. So in Deuteronomy one hundred thirty nine, God's showing his pity for children. You can rest assured that an innocent child has God's pity. We found it right here in Deuteronomy. We saw it in Jonah. I'll show you a couple other places. Every now and then the question will come up, when a child dies, does he go to heaven? I mean that's a no-brainer You really already know that naturally But you do need some verses to prove it with I'm going to give you the verses 2 Samuel 12 2 Samuel 12 verse 22 This is David's son that's going to die and uh, it's part of a payment he's making for a sin that Elman Bathsheba cooked up. And here's what he says about it. 2 Samuel 12:22. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, and that the child may live? But now he is dead. Okay, the child's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Now, here's the important part. I shall go to him. So wherever David goes when he dies is where this child is. You think David went to hell? I don't think so. (laughs) But he shall not return to me. And that's a fact. Now, in the Old Testament, it would be Abraham's bosom, but that's just a temporary thing. They end up in heaven. Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 2. Now it's going to become a little more complicated, but that's okay. Y'all, y'all understand deep stuff. Y'all straighten me out on it. <laughs> Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Okay, that's a child. A child doesn't come up with malice and forethought and trying to work out a devious plan to do something. Now, they're selfish, but that's just their nature. That's not deviousness. That's not trying to fool you. Okay, that's they they don't have any guile in and of themselves. Now, there comes a point in time when their understanding gets opened and they realize, I can use trickery. And they'll do it. And then they become accountable. Once you understand how to use guile, you are accountable. And it happens pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At uh, five years old, I needed salvation just as bad as the 30 year old that's a street bum. Although I never did any of those things the 30 year old that was a street bum did. Still had the same sin. Just as bad. Romans chapter four. Romans 4, verse 6. We've read the parallel passage. Now I'm going to take you to the New Testament version of it. (laughs) Romans 4, verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Okay, the man did not have sin, God would have to put it on him, impute it. A child, now I know I have a different take than everybody on this. That's okay, you can take it or leave it. I think that a child is sinless when it's born. And I know everybody's going to tell you you're born in sin. No, you're born in a world of sin. I'm not, I don't push this original sin thing. That Adam passed on sin to you. No, Adam passed on the opportunity for sin to you. But he didn't pass you any sin. You chose your sin by a willful choice. The second you do that, you are a sinner. Prior to that, you're without guile. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 5. Here's a verse that people have to deal with with, If they want to go with the uh, original sin idea Behold, I was shapen in iniquity Okay, where were you shapen? That's put together Okay And in sin did my mother conceive me Okay, so God's the one who's in control of that God controls the opening or closing of the womb he's the one that knits your parts together he he says in another place I was fearfully and wonderfully made okay is that God's fault that you're did he make you a sin let's drop a little sin in right there we're going to put some over here no (laughs) okay it's the world that he showed up in that was sinful he says in uh, I believe it's 1 John that the whole world lieth in wickedness okay so we're here we're in this world that's wicked you choose how much of it you want Romans 2 verse 15 Romans 2 verse 15 this is a passage on when the heathen without the law doing things that are in the law versus the Jew who has the law and doesn't obey the law it's real wordy but Chapter 2 verse 15 Which show the work of the law Written in their hearts Their conscience also bearing witness And their thoughts The meanwhile accusing Or else excusing one another So here what we have is the heathen the age old question Does the Does the African in the tribe That's never heard know And does he when he dies Does he go to heaven or hell Okay he, he doesn't know anything About the Bible and God and all that Well, he knows about his conscience. He knows that much. And when he disobeys his conscience, that's sin. God is sitting in the midst of every person saying, that's wrong, don't do that. There's no reason for a man to feel guilty if nothing is wrong. Okay, if you've disobeyed a rule is when you feel guilty. Moses knew he, think about this. There had been no law written that said you can't murder. Yet Moses, when he you know, Moses is the one that wrote the law. Okay. So before he writes the law, he kills a man. It says that he looked this way and that way. He's guilty. And then he hid his body in the sand. Why has he got to hide it? Nothing wrong with that. You won. Survival of the fittest. <laughs> uh uh-uh. You know it was wrong. That conscience God's put in there to show a man himself. Romans 5, look at verse 13. He also ran away. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he hid for a long time. Romans 5, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there's no law. Okay, so he says, there was sin. There was rules already. And you're not guilty of breaking the rule until you know you've broke the rule. Look at verse 15. Uh, No, chapter 4, verse 15. Go back a chapter. Chapter 4, verse 15. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is there is no transgression you can't break a rule if there ain't a rule (laughs) that's what the conscience is for the conscience says god made a rule doesn't matter if man did or not we know just instinctively because we're his creation and he'll tell us hey don't do that and christians still we still have that conscience that comes alive all the time you should and it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a verse to say don't do this or don't do that. But you'll just start to do something and the Holy Spirit will say, whoa, something's not right over here. And you better stop. That's the conscience saying no. It doesn't have to be a written law. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 13, Romans five thirteen. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed... When there is no law, that is God does impute sin, when you break the law. That's what the conscience is for. The conscience tells a man, I just broke the law. And that should drive a man to the magistrate to say, I plead guilty, have mercy on me. (laughs) Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10. So I think a child cannot, he, he can't reason, so he can't figure all those things out. So before his reasoning ability kicks in, he's safe. Now he's not saved, he's not accepted the blood of Jesus Christ. But we've seen God, his motives, and his, uh, his attitude toward them. He has pity on children. Isaiah 10, verse 1. Now we're going to get back to Israel. Isaiah ten one, woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievous uh, and write grievousness which they have prescribed. Okay, think about it. Here's Jonah. He's gotten a good message, but you know what? He enjoyed the message a little too much. It's okay to preach hellfire and damnation. When that's the message god gives you but you preach it pleading you don't preach it enjoying and jonah was enjoying it a little too much we want to show the wrath of god because it's necessary and god tells us to but we want to show it just enough to show a person there's a better option not because we're so big and bad and powerful (laughs) And that's what Jonah's done right here. He's decreeing unrighteous decrees. Now what he's given exactly what God had to say, didn't he? God told him, you can only preach the words I tell you to preach. And he didn't ask for any, any extra ones to be added. <laughs> you know, all of the other men that God makes great of in the Bible have always had a history of pleading for people when God wanted to destroy them is just the opposite. He's asking God to destroy them instead of pleading for them. Let's finish our passage here, verse 2. To turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that the widows uh, may be their prey, that they may rob the fatherless. And what will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To who will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down under uh, the uh, prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. That's Jonah. Jonah's been this man right here. He's been uh, waiting and licking his lips to see Nineveh go down. He had a little eight-word message that, he just thought was going to set the world on fire. I mean, literally. (laughs) And it was the fire he wanted to see, not a conversion. So God's saying, look, I want to be merciful. And three times in the last chapter, we saw God being merciful to him. His hand was stretched out still. But Jonah didn't want it. Romans chapter 10. Jonah should have come to Jesus, had him a, his own altar call, and he could have used all of that to preach to Israel the nation. Because Israel the nation is going to go through everything Jonah just did. Romans 10 verse 21. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. That's Israel. The people that had the oracles of God, not the heathen. And God says, I've been stretching out my hand trying to call you in, even though you've been a rebellious people, just like Jonah was rebellious. Should have got right. Could have had a good good message here. <laughs> Romans 11, the next chapter. Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Isaiah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. Thank you there, Jonah number one. (laughs) That's what he was doing. He had him a bad attitude, too. He says, God, get them. They've been mean and we we got the power. Let's show it to them. Verse 4. But what what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, that's a remnant. When we get um, self-centered, we think when something bad happens, we're the only one that's happened to. And regardless of how bad it is, whatever situation we're in, there's a hundred other people going through the same thing, and there's a thousand that are going through much worse. <laughs> but we get so self-centered, we only think it's us, and our situation is so unique. I would say that Isaiah's or or um, who is this, Elijah? Elijah? Elijah. Uh, this has got to be Elijah here. Yeah, I'd say Elijah's situation was pretty unique. But God said, drive up, boy. There's 7,000 down there going through stuff just like you. And they're not complaining. What's your problem? (laughs) Wow. Okay, now see the picture. The prophecy of this is something that's going to be in the future. There's a remnant that's going to be saved in the tribulation. And there's going to be an image that people are bowing down to. Like he's talking about here, the image of Baal. Verse 5. Even so, at uh, then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Drop down to verse twelve. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, okay. So what does he mean by that? Okay, if Israel, being stupid and <laughs> being rebellious against God, meant that God came up with a new plan and let us in on something in order to make Israel jealous. He said, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Okay, right now we're building the fullness of the Gentiles. But there's a day coming that even as good as it's been and as great as the blessings seem to be for Christians right now, it's going to be even greater when God restores Israel. And it will be because that'll be the millennium. It'll be real great. Israel is blind like we find Jonah in our book. And the end of the book, he's not understanding the lessons God's been teaching him. Well, in our age, Israel is in blindness doctrinally. He didn't understand. Jonah didn't understand the message God had for him. Now this is where it becomes very important that we internalize every message. Jo- Jonah didn't go into town internalizing any message. He said, you remember his message, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed? He should have said, whoa, God, I need to be destroyed too. You see what I just did? I ran the other side of the world from you. Okay, he should have got that right. (laughs) And then I think the whole tone of the book would have changed, but he didn't. Uh, Now, the last little phrase in the book of Jonah says (laughs) an odd thing. God says, look, there's all these little children and there's people that don't understand right and wrong and also much cattle. (laughs) You know, cattle are important. (laughs) That's how you eat. Food is meat, not vegetables. It's meat. (laughs) Now, the fact of the matter is this. God cares about animals. If you were a Jew, you would too. You would have to bring them quite often as a sacrifice. (laughs) Animals should have had a value to everybody, just naturally. If you were a Jew, they had a value. Okay, I'm going to need some turtle doves, and I'm going to need some goats in my future. (laughs) You you need to get you a collection of animals, because you quite often had to bring them. Uh, Look at Ezekiel 39. God is um, a just, balanced God. Even in the animal world, you think about the hundreds and thousands of animals, more than that, millions and billions of animals that had to be slaughtered for our sins, humans' sins. Not for the sin of the animal. Now you'll find some of those too in Leviticus, but basically the animals that were slaughtered by man were because man himself had done a sin and needed a substitute. Ezekiel thirty nine verse seventeen, and thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl; those are unclean animals, uh, most of them, not all. Doves are clean. And every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come together, uh, and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountain of Israel, that ye may eat the flesh. And drink blood. That's not humans. And that's not something that would be legal for a human to do. I think these are unclean animals. That God's allowing to have revenge. Not revenge, but he's giving them a tithe back. Of all of the animals that had to be slain throughout the ages. He's balancing things back out here. And he's doing it by destroying all the wicked ones here. Verse 18 Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty And drink the blood of the princes of the earth Of rams, of lambs Oh, those are clean animals Of goats, of bullocks Of all the fatlings Of, here it is Bashan It's in a bad place They're wicked Now, that tells you something That I'm not going to get real hard and fast on it But the animals that were in Nineveh Were considered wicked because they were owned by wicked people. Remember what the king says? The king says, I want your animals to repent. Okay, anything that repents, I know this is crazy. An animal doesn't have the mentality to repent. But anything that's shown itself in repentance, God has pity on. God, If you turn toward God, that's what he's waiting for. He's not going to say, you didn't turn fast enough. He's not like that. Look at verse 19. And you shall eat the fat till you be full, and drink the blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus you shall uh, be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, saith the Lord God. That's going to be probably uh, Armageddon. Well, probably not Armageddon, but it's, you can make up your mind. It's either Armageddon or Gog and Magog here. Uh, but this is what God does with the spoils of war. As he says, the unclean animals, I'm not going to waste. I'm not going to let them just turn into dust. I'm going to balance things out by giving these animals as a sacrifice to these animals. God's a balanced and a merciful God. Amen. Always has been. Too bad Jonah couldn't figure, figure that thing out. And you know, God had set that thing up from the very beginning because he knew Jonah was going to be a picture of Jesus Christ. And Jonah wouldn't get on board with it. (laughs) God still used him. And you can still find the pictures where he represents Jesus, but it's very slim, very small, but it could have been much bigger. Jesus, do what? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ came to his own, and his own received him not. And we shouldn't be like that, not receiving. We are his own. Jesus Christ has bought us and paid for us. So we're owned lock, stock, and barrel. (laughs) So anytime he gives us anything to repent of, it's best just to repent quickly. Like he said in Revelation there, he said, be zealous. (laughs) Be zealous in your repenting. Otherwise, we turn into Jonah. All right, that's our book of Jonah. The next book we'll hit is uh, Amos.